Welcome to the Shields Outdoors podcast, your source for information on hunting, fishing, and all of your outdoor passions. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Shields Outdoors podcast. Today, we're going to be going to night one of the Shields virtual fish series featuring Shields pro staff members, Josh Douglas and Pat Schlapper answering live questions on bass fishing. Here's our recording from night one of the Shields virtual fish series. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the first night of our virtual fishing event here. We're going to be talking some bass fishing. We're super excited about that. Got my co-host here, Matt. He's going to be jumping up on here and let him introduce himself and kind of tell him what he's going to be doing this evening. Yeah, um, I'm just one of your Fargo Shields experts uh, at the Fargo store, obviously. Um, But this night is definitely one of the nights that I really want to stay tuned on because I'm a bass fisherman. Um, I was brought up to be a walleye fisherman, but obviously that didn't work out. So um, just love bass fishing from North Dakota. I fish North Dakota, South Dakota, Minnesota, just really those three states. But uh, bass fishing is obviously a little bit different from my side of things to Pat and Josh's side of things. So they're going to have some really good input. Um, and I'm just really excited for tonight. So I'm going to be answering all your guys' questions on the YouTube side of things. Um, and then I'll probably come back on during the uh, prize drawing. So Very cool. Yeah, we got a heavy night tonight with Pat Schlopper and, and Jason Douglas, a couple pro fishermen. And uh, hopefully I got Pat's last name correct. If I did not, it's my fault. <laughs> uh, but again, I mean, these guys, I mean, we have the opportunity, and especially the audience out there, we have the opportunity right now to ask these guys questions. They're in the heat of the battle right now. I mean, we were just talking before. Mr. Jason is actually fishing tournament or pre-fishing tournament right now. Pat is doing the same thing. I mean, I love the deer head in the back. Um, it's a little small for North Dakota deer, so we know you're not in ODAC. Uh, but anyways, we're excited to get going. There's going to be a prize drawing at the end of the night. We have a thousand. We have two winners this evening, and uh, split up a prize package. So there's going to be some great gift cards given away, and uh, went up to a thousand dollars as the top one. Oh, sorry, Josh. I called you, Jason. I I'm getting excited, getting excited for Jason Mitchell here coming up in a couple nights too. So it's a heavy night, heavy week, I should say. All right, so please make sure everyone that's tuning in for the first time, uh, make sure you're going to shields.com slash fish series to get registered for the prize drawing as well as see a layout for the rest of the week. And so with that, uh, if we could, uh, since Josh, I, I butchered your name already, I apologize. If you would, just kind of give us a little bit of background. What got you into fishing? What got you in the tournament, the competitive side? And um, obviously you're – you definitely live a unique lifestyle with traveling around with your wife and your your dog, so it's everyone wants to hear. So, yeah. Uh, well, first, thanks for having me on. This is pretty awesome. Um, yeah, I'm born and raised in Minnesota. I've lived a few other places just to learn how to fish, like Florida and Tennessee, just to learn how to fish places like that. But uh, basically, grew up in the Twin Cities. Uh, make uh, Lake Malax is my home now, where I guide up there been up there for four or five years uh tournament fishing for me you know i was just i was a i'm a sports nut you know i'm into all kinds of sports i played hockey i played golf i played football uh played hockey year round so i had just had the competitive gene and fishing is what honestly what i liked the most of of all the sports was just what i really enjoyed to do and uh, so the competitive nature was there once i started guiding you know i just kept looking at local tournament stuff and you know, and I just didn't think too quick about it. As soon as I had some success at the state level, I just went to the next level and just keep 
keep trying to go uh, as long as I'm out bass fishing. That's really the thing that makes me the happiest. So, uh, but tournament, I mean, since I was a kid, tournament fishing was something that, you know, watching old Bassmaster stuff, some of the older FLW stuff and just, you know, wa watching that and just wondering what it would be like if I could ever make something like that happen. So, uh, but yeah, now we're traveling with the, the whole fam, me and my wife, Bree and my dog Lutzen. Uh, we got a camper. So, uh, you know, when it's cold in Minnesota after hunting season, we tend to be down in a little bit more warmer climate, uh, chasing bass. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a fun ride for sure. So do you like smallmouth or largemouth more? I like them both actually the same. I just, I, I, I don't like spotted bass. I, I want to like spotted bass, but I don't like, they don't like me, but largemouth and smallmouth, they're, they're pretty equal. I guess if I could only catch one, it'd probably be a smallmouth. Better fight. No, not necessarily even. I don't know. I just, I get to wear my, my bibs a lot and I like wearing bibs. I'm wearing smallie fish and I got my bibs on, so. Yep. And they taste uh, better too, But yeah, right? and I like spinning rods. I like to have a spinning rod in my hand as much as I possibly can and, you know, smallies like that flavor, so. Very good. Well, thank you. Pat, how about you? Yeah, well, I mean, for me, my story's a little different than Josh's. I, I actually started working at Shields in 2004 in college and uh, worked there full time up until last year when I decided to try to uh, to make it to the Elite Series by, by going through the Bassmaster Opens. Um, like Josh, it had always kind of been a, a dream of mine. And for me, it, it had to kind of take a back seat for a while because I kind of got, I got into that... Uh, a lot of people that start working at Shields, you know, they start there part-time and they're going to kind of move on. And next thing you know, it's 15 years down the road and it's a career. And that happened to me, which was great uh, because honestly, that's what allowed me to go, to go chase the dream. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and they're still working with me, allowing me to do it. So I made it last year actually through the Bassmaster Opens. And I also made it um, through the Bass Nation Championship. And by winning that, I also get to go to the Bassmaster Classic this year. So, um, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's been a pretty crazy year for me. I mean, just a a big, a big life changing opportunity to go chase my dream, and now I get to do it because I made it happen last year. So, it's been really awesome. I've always loved to fish and fish tournaments a long, long time, but now I get to do it at the highest level. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's very cool. Yep. All right, so we're just going to jump in. we got questions rolling in here. Um, I think the first one I'm going to pick right now, just because of the time of the year and where we're at right now, but will you explain pre-spawn, spawn, and post-spawn fishing tactics, and what are you guys looking for for staging areas to kind of reduce that time spent searching? You want to go or you want me to go, Josh? <laughs> we're doing the whole pre-spawn, spawn, pre-spawn, spawn, pre post-spawn? Post yep. Yep. Uh, don't matter. Go ahead. Hey, Pat, why don't you take pre-spawn? Yep. Okay, so pre-spawn, which is actually probably my favorite time of the year to fish, um, the biggest thing that I pay attention to, whether it's smallmouth or, or largemouth, is water temperature. So that time of the year, for me, I like to see it. You know, I'm kind of talking up north. It's maybe a little different in the southern, southern part of the country. But, you know, once it gets to that 50-degree mark, I start to feel like I can I can start to catch them better. And still at 50 degrees, that's still pretty cold. Um, 
I'm mainly going to use, I use a jerk bait a lot, a lot, a lot. Um, so that's probably, sorry, my phone's kind of spazzing out here. Um, that's probably my number one bait, whether it's largemouth or smallmouth. And I'll typically look for long points leading into an area where I know the fish are going to spawn. So whether it's, sorry, uh, I don't know what's going on. Um, Technology. Yes. And I'm not good with it. So uh, especially with smallmouth, I like to have a long point, something that's deep on the end that tapers up to something shallow. Because eventually those fish will end up on the shallow part of it, but usually they'll they'll winter out, you know, in the deeper water, and they'll gradually work their way up that point. And a jerk bait is my favorite way to cover that water. Um, so that's that's kind of my take on it. Obviously, I could go into that a lot more, mm -hmm. but those are the general things that I look for. Water temperature, I like it when it gets to fifty degrees. Um, points leading into pockets where the fish are going to spawn. Um, jerk bait is there a certain depth you're looking for it all depends on the lake the clarity and and the water temperature um you know for for small i keep going back to smallmouth because that's like my favorite thing to do with this pre-spawn smallmouth um i'd say you know i like to catch them when they're in that 8 to 15 foot range that's when i feel like in the pre-spawn when they get to that depth that's when i feel like i'm gonna get get the biggest fish obviously you'll catch them out you know deeper too but when you get a good sunny day with the wind blowing that water getting into that low 50 degrees take that jerk bait start covering water and you catch some big fish that's great thank you all right so what about spawn and then post-spawn I'm doing pop spawn and the post spawn. Yes, sir. Okay, fair Thanks, enough. Josh. Spawn's kind of spawn's actually kind of boring. Uh, you're going <laughs> to want to try to find whether it's largemouth or or smallmouth. Really, you want to try to find your your temperature is a big big deal too. Like like what Pat was saying, pre spawn spawn until you get through the spawn, that water temp's going to be a really big deal. Um, so you know, if, especially when it comes to largemouth stuff like that, your early smallmouth stuff will all all be in like your protected bays that are going to be protected from those cold north winds, whether you're in Texas or Minnesota, you're going to have cold north winds. You know, it's all relative at some point. It might be a little bit stiffer and colder up north where we're from, but nonetheless, you're going to have them both. So you really want to find that protected water, uh, the warmest protected water. And then, you know, as it goes on, when, when we start dealing with both largemouth and smallmouth too, you know, they'll start to venture out into more the main lake. So then your main lake fish will start to pull up they'll be after those ones that were in the protected areas is you know it's a lot of sight fishing with your eyes if you can see them um if, if it's dirty water you know or if they're spawning spawning like i'm i'm at a place like douglas lake right now they're just spawning a little deeper so you got to kind of you know water moves so much so you're just kind of feeling around for the bites where the areas are uh and you know that that's the spawn and then you're gonna you know you're gonna have your your males are the ones that are on on the beds holding down the bed the female kind of comes in does does her thing that's going to be your chance to catch um you know that big female at the same time i actually largemouth i like when the female's on the bed uh smallies i don't like when the female's there i like to pick her off like a hair jig or a spy bait or a jerk bait like what pat was saying cruising around it seems like they don't like to sit there and protect you know they're just doing their thing and off she goes right away so 
uh, that, that's kind of the spawn. Um, you know, if, if I'm fishing for smallies on a place like Malax, the spawn, I'll just be whipping a hair jig around or, or a jerk bait or something like that. Uh, maybe a popper, you know, they'll show themselves on a, on a popper, something like that where they're at until I visually see one, then I'm going to actually you know, work to catch that fish. Uh, they don't eat when they're on the bed. They're not eating there to, to fill their stomachs. They're just trying to move stuff away. Mm-hmm. Uh, so basically that's going to be your spawn. And, and then the post spawn, you know, post spawn comes with, with a funkiness. Uh, your fish are going to be a little bit more beat up from the spawn. And it, it isn't just fishermen, you know, fishermen are probably a very small, small percentage of, of the harassment that they take. It's more so, you know, the bluegills are coming in there, the perch are in there, the cro- they just have all kinds of competition. The walleyes are done spawning, they're moving in. Uh, so the, the fish are, you know, they're a little bit beat up. They're, they're kind of moving around. You don't really know quite where they're at, but I, I tend to try to stay. It depends on your fishery. So some fisheries, they're going to stay shallow. It's where the forage goes. If the forage is still shallow and stays shallow, then th- those fish are going to be there. And, th- you know, it's a good, you got a good couple weeks after the spawn to, to really take advantage of that. Uh, otherwise, otherwise, uh, you know, you, you got to go deep if that's where, if that's where they're at places like Kentucky Lake and stuff. Uh, you know, I took a third place in a tournament there where I was catching them in like 30 feet and their, their tails were still bleeding, like dripping blood from just getting off of bed and then immediately going out to a main river ledge like that. So, uh, you know, you're either going to stay shallow, you know, wacky worm, stuff like that. Just trying to, trying to grab bites, maybe a little bit of top water. Otherwise you got to get out deep where the forage is again, cause that's where they're going to be to start, start feeding up. And then one more thing too, we don't deal with this a lot in Minnesota, but around the rest of the country, following the spawn, you'll usually have a shad spawn. Uh, that's a big deal. And, uh, it's a great way to catch, catch big fish. They know where that shad spawn is going to go. So as soon as those females get done, which are your bigger fish, mm-hmm. you know, they're going to move out and they're going to attack those, those easy shad that are up there doing their thing too. Yep. Okay. Very good. All right. So for Pat, I got a question for you. What is it like to be a rookie, even though you've been winning a ton of local tournaments, uh, for the last 20 years? Oh yeah. Being a rookie <laughs> at this level is a, it's a little different. I mean, uh, it's been this whole the whole season's been interesting so far. The, the rookie aspect of it, I haven't really thought about honestly, um, because every everybody is just so good at this level. Um, all I mean, you look at the rest of the rookies we have this year in the elites, and it's it's a pretty stout lineup of people that uh, that know how to catch them. So it it feels good to be fishing against all those guys. I'm not sure if I fit in there yet, but. Um, it's it's been it's been fun that's great all right so uh josh this will be for you how do you eliminate unproductive water when looking at a map yeah uh that's kind of well it's hard to do time of year is going to be a going to be a big deal as far as eliminating eliminating that water you know if, if it's good if you're around the pre-spawn and spawn like pat was saying pre-spawn you can generally start eliminating a lot of that deeper water those fish are going to start to move up um so you know that kind of gives you areas like he was saying you want spawning coves and then you want points and and ditches leading into those type of things so then that kind of does away with a lot of it i would say the biggest thing is going to be time of year and and knowing your forage base where where the forage is what it is that they're eating Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if you know that, then you can kind of start to eliminate you. If you're on like a herring lake, then you can probably not, you know, they're all deep over deep water. There's not going to be a lot of fish shallow, uh, vice versa. If you're somewhere that's got a bunch of bluegills and crawdads and stuff, you're probably gonna have a pretty good concentration of fish, uh, shallow and less deep. So 
I think the big biggest thing is just kind of when you're doing your map studies, just knowing your time of year, knowing knowing how fish like to transition, uh, you know, their flight path in and back out. Uh, you know, their their biggest thing is food. That's that's it. Food and the spawn. And the spawn's a short window really out of the full year. So it's gonna be it's gonna be about food. So knowing where what their forage base is will definitely help you, you know, eliminate eliminate a lot of water. Very good. All right. So how long do you guys wait before you're changing colors or baits? At this time of year. So uh, say preseason, right? Or uh, pre-spawn, excuse me. I don't know how much spawning is really going on outside of the deep south, but you know, most of our store markets outside of Texas, I mean, we may even be pre, pre, pre-spawn at this point since we got three inches of snow on the ground right now. Yeah. But uh, what are you guys looking at for that? I mean, as far as changing baits and colors and stuff like that, you know, I just have a, like with a jerk bait, I'll have three different colors out. Usually I'll have a deep jerk bait and a couple, you know, regular diving jerk baits. And then, um, you know, if we're talking large mouth, depending upon what's going on, um, I'll usually have a chatter bait, swim jig, um, stuff to cover water with, maybe a rattle trap. I don't get too hung up on color stuff. Honestly, I'm, it's pretty simple for me. For me, I mean, black, blue, green, pumpkin, white, you know, something in those shades. Um, and then it's just all depending on the conditions. If you look at like a swim jig versus chatterbait, which are two of the most classic pre-spawn baits, like to me, if there's wind blowing or the water's a little darker, I'm throwing a chatterbait 99% of the time. If the water's clear or maybe them fish just aren't quite as aggressive, then I'll throw a swim jig. But they're interchangeable. You got to have them both out. Um, same with a deep jerk bait and a shallow jerk bait. You got to have them both out. You can't have just one. So um, you just, it, it, it's not about like, I'll, every bait I'll have out, I'll have confidence in. It's not about switching to a different bait because the one I'm using isn't working. It's switching to a different bait because I need that different presentation or something changed to make Water this calling. bait work better. So. Very good. Josh? Yeah, I'm pretty simple when it comes to colors. Uh, Not what no tackle companies want us to say, right? (laughs) They want us to say a whole bunch of stuff. But no, a green pumpkin, you know, your black and blue, your white, stuff to match a shad. Uh, Mostly when I'm changing colors, same as Pat. You know, I got different things for different presentations, depending on what it is that I'm looking at or that fish. Um, You know, the biggest things where I'll change colors is, you know, whether it's it's bluebird skies sunny out or cloudy that 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 i can notice sometimes a pretty big difference between baits especially mm-hmm. stuff like jerk baits and stuff like that what they'll key in on and, and how, they're, how they're looking at it uh so basically i try to keep it i try to keep it as simple as i as i really as as i possibly can and again i'm going to go back to the forage i'm, I'm going to try to just match what it is that they're eating a lot but now again when we're talking about smallmouth on the other hand smallmouth's a little bit different character because they they'll eat them bright kind of flamboyant colors the pinks and stuff just because they can see they can see so good they have great great eyes and they also have a terrible attitude so <laughs> anything that comes across if you can just get there if they're in the right mood you can get a bait in front of them that, that's the one fish that i'll sometimes in the pre-spawn i'll play around with with a little bit different different colors but otherwise i keep it pretty confident whatever my confidence colors are and whatever's going to match that forage and then just over time you kind of pick up on some lakes just some lakes are notorious for a certain color working really good and then and then lastly i have lately been changing colors a little bit because of the addition of the lorance active target 
um, I can now I can see a fish's attitude as if I was looking at it with my glasses, looking at it up on the bank and, you know, throw something to it and it spooks away. I know, okay, I didn't like that. I need to switch it up. That might be a whole bait change. And sometimes I've seen just a color change. You know, they come in, they look at it. They don't quite want it. They leave or they, they sit there. They don't eat it. A quick color change and all of a sudden they're on it. Generally, it's a bait change. But at the same time, I have seen where we're a color will play, but I used to get into it, you know, and next thing you know, I just had way too much tackle in my boat. My head was spinning before I ever got out there. Cause I didn't even know what, what color I wanted to use. Yep. All right. So you kind of answered one of the questions a little bit, <laughs> excuse me, but favorite electronic to put on the front of your deck. What are yeah, you guys go to uh, units? Yeah. Like the favorite for my boat. Yeah. The front. Yep. Yeah. Well, it would be Lawrence all the way around, but I'd have mm-hmm. to have the active target now is a really, really big deal to be able to just see what's coming, what's in front of you and how those fish are, how those fish are acting, bait, everything, you know, it's a, that, that's a big deal. Forward looking sonar is as big of a deal as side imaging was when it came out. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a question I get. I, I get asked that so much because, you know, unlike Josh, I have, you know, I have two different brands of electronics on my boat. I have, I've run Hummingbird for years um, because of their side imaging and 360, um, but they do not have any sort, well, this, they're going to have, you know, a live view forward-facing sonar, but they don't as of now. And I put that Garmin live scope on my boat, I think, three years ago now. So, and I would say if you took that live scope away from me right now, there that wouldn't be good I, there'd be consequences um i still like the 360 but if you do not have a live live scope on your boat you're you're missing a lot of opportunity that's just the bottom line and i'm not i don't get paid by any of those companies at all that's just the the facts that live scope probably i guess if you take the nation championship out that live scope probably single-handedly got me to the lead series wow that's a lot of confidence I'm, that's that's not confidence it's a fact lake uh lake hartwell lay lake um not really on Kissimmee cherokee lake all those lakes you know that i placed high in 90% of the fish I caught, 95% of the fish I caught on them lakes, I watched every one of them bite the bait. And it wasn't with my eyes. That's incredible. All right, so now we're getting into some new angler questions here. Um, I just saw it. So best starter rod and reel for a spinning rod. Rod reel. Obviously, Josh, we see your shirt. Yeah. <laughs> what Shimano's yeah, do you either. like? Would you recommend? Uh, for a spinning reel? Yep. And or rod. You said spinning, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'll give you a high end and I'll give you a mid range one to go with. Um, the Shimano Vanfords, the best bang for its buck out there for a spinning reel. Uh, awesome spinning reel. You know, it's a step up from what they used to have as a CI4, which was a, a super popular reel. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then on the high end, it's the Shimano accents. Uh, that's the one that I tend to use, use the most, you know, if you, if you can, why won't you, you know, you got a lot more bearings in it and stuff like that. Uh, and again, I'm a spinning rod and reel junkie. So I, you know, I, I treasure those things as much as anything else I got for sure. But, 
uh, and then a rod, G Loomis rods are what, what I use, G Loomis rods, Shimano reels. So, um, that would definitely be what I would recommend. Very good. Pat? I'm going to kind of go on the, the end of, you know, I get, I got asked that a lot over the years of selling product at Shields. And when someone came in and wanted a beginner setup, um, you would, you would show them, you know, show them the expensive stuff, but my, one of my favorite rods for the money is going to be a, a St. Croix Triumph. It's it's a hundred dollar rod. You get a six six medium, you know, medium power, fast action, and then I would put, you know, uh, maybe a I don't know some sort of Shimano reel on it or a Daiwa twenty five hundred size. Mm-hmm. That's 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 what I would you know. You can get a really nice rod and reel for hundred and fifty to two hundred dollars now. Um, obviously as you spend more money, you're getting, you're getting higher quality, better sensitivity and all that. But you pick up that triumph. If you pick that up blindfolded and fished with it, you would, uh, you, you would think it was a lot more money than a hundred dollars. Very good. What about casting setup guys? Either one of you is fine. I know that. I mean, again, the spinning stuff, it's, there's so much variance that goes into it, depending on the bait size, depending on the conditions. I mean, rod length, action, extra fast, fast, moderate, graphite composite, if it's glass or whatever it might be. I mean, there's just so many things that go into it. But, you know, for this, for the, the bass fishing side of it, the general, you know, 80-20 rule, 80% of the time when you're fishing, what is your go-to casting setup? I would do a 7-foot medium-heavy uh, fast action rod. So something like, you know, like St. Croix Victory, that's like a hundred and eighty dollar rod, which it's a great great line of rods for that price point. Uh put put, you know, uh whatever bait casting reel you want on it. Uh I I honest I don't know if I'd probably put braid on it, depending upon how you know what type of fishing you're gonna be doing, but I think generally I would probably put like a thirty or forty pound braid on it. That's Run my up. that's my preference though. That that could make might cause a lot of arguments but do you do fluorocarbon uh, leader no i mean i'd use a lot of straight fluorocarbon but i just think in general if someone comes in and says i want a rod that i'm going to go bass fish with it and i want a bait caster you know so to with braid you could go throw a frog up in the lily pads you could go throw a senko on the edge of lily pads you could flip a jig you know, you start getting into crankbaits and stuff like that, it's not going to be ideal. But once again, you know, it's one of those things that it's hard to buy one rod that's perfect for everything. You can buy one rod that will work for everything, but it's not going to be perfect for everything. So you got to sacrifice on one end. You know, if you, you put 15-pound fluorocarbon on it and you throw a frog way back into the lily pads and hook Big Mama, good luck. You know, you're not getting them all. So... That's kind of my take. I'm curious to see what Josh says. Yeah, I, I, I'd say I say the same thing. S- seven foot, medium, heavy. Um, if you can only pick one. Uh, but since he went that way, let me pick a different one. That I, I would go with like a seven and a half foot heavy. Um, that that'll allow you to get away with so much so much more of your heavier bass tackle needs, uh, punching grass, stuff like that, frog fishing. Um, you know, even even out on the ledges you know, having a big deep water stuff, football jig, you know, just, I I prefer personally, I prefer a rod, like 
seven foot to seven to eight foot somewhere in that variety depending depending on what i'm depending on what i'm doing uh if i'm more if you're if if you're more you know casting at targets where accuracy is a big deal you know seven foot medium heavy is going to be going to be really good you know if you're trying to start to launch stuff out to open water or across lily pads that longer that longer rod's going to give you a lot of a lot of you know sore there and you know loomis is, g loomis got all kinds of different rods for that they basically have the same for the most part it changes a little bit but they have you know from from their entry level stuff to their very top level stuff they almost have the same numbers all the way across as far as like what you want you know what you're looking for and and mind you that though i might throw an nrx sometimes that's their highest end it's not the best rod for everything you know there, there's times that you want a rod that has less of a graphite uh, you know, uh, less sensitive graphite because I don't want to feel the bites nearly as much. Or like you said, with glass, you know, you can get into some, some of that, but when it comes to the, to a bait casting reel, I would say a Shimano Corrado. Um, it's been a staple reel for me since I first started, they're bulletproof. And I don't think there's a bait in the world that I can't throw with it from the biggest swim baits out there to the, you know, little tiniest little micro jigs, stuff like that. I can throw it on a Corrado and great price point like a 179 something like that and mm -hmm. just they're just bulletproof they'd last a long time they've had a great name for a long time yep it's definitely a staple crowd has been around for a long time all right so cadence to a jerk bait what does that look like and i mean not only your personal opinion on this but do you see on on the circuit you guys are fishing that everybody kind of has their own little cadence that they do um i mean it's going to kind of boil down to how cold the water is and how aggressive the fish are as, as you know, that's how the warmer the water is, the faster you can work it. I generally work my jerk bait fast. I mean, I will slow it down in, in colder water, but generally I work it faster than most people, I guess. The whole key thing with the jerk bait, in my opinion, is having a slack line. You know, you don't want your line tight and just kind of pulling the bait. You know, if you pull your rod two feet, you only want to pull about a foot of line. And that'll make that bait start to dance around and, and move a lot more erratically and get it down deeper. That's the biggest thing. Like, I've seen people fish around me, and I've watched them work their jerk bait. And, and once again, I'm obsessed with jerk baits. I, I, I fish them a lot, probably a lot more than maybe I should, I guess. But I'll watch people around me and be like, what the heck is that guy doing over there? And he's throwing a jerk bait, but he's like reeling it and like just pulling the rod. You know, you got to snap that rod and kind of like when you're working a spook, you know, a topwater spook almost, you know, that slack line is what creates the action and having the proper setup too. Now, is that more of a reaction bite you're getting from the fish? Uh, a lot of times it is, but you know, now with some of the other, you know, technologies we have, it's, it's, uh, it's it's kind of a i'd call it almost a finesse tactic because i can see exactly how them fish are reacting and i can do things to make them bite when they don't want to bite so it's generally it is a reaction bite but a jerkbait has a certain drawing power that i i can still see some of them fish i caught on heart while i I mean, a lot of them fish I caught out there, you know, I was fishing 30 to 50 feet of water and them fish would be 15 foot down. Some would be five foot down and them fish, when they seen that bait, they would come up 
I mean, they would come up 20 feet to eat that thing. So it has a lot of drawing power. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a magical bait if you, if you know what you're doing with it. Do either one of you guys build your own lures? I make, I make, uh, I make some, uh, quite a few jigs myself. I actually just signed with a company. I actually designed a, a jig for someone. I actually just got some now, a certain one that I've been making for a long time. Um, but I don't make plastics or anything, just like skirted bass jigs. Yeah, same. I definitely leave that to the professionals at that. I just go and, go and break them off and go and, <laughs> go and lose them for sure. Yep. Well, if you're not breaking off, you're not catching fish, right? That's right. Well, I guess. Something like that. <laughs> All right. So, uh, in, in Josh, you kind of mentioned this earlier, but a fish's attitude. Can you yeah. kind of go on a little bit more? We've got some questions coming in on that. And by the way, guys, we have pages of questions. Yeah, so, um, if there's an opportunity for you guys to kind of help answer some of these after we wrap up for this evening, and I do need to put in another plug for make sure everybody's jumping on to shields.com slash fish series to make sure you get registered for the rest of the events. And, um, Price packages. Obviously, we got more experts coming on tomorrow. We got fly fishing, which is going to be fantastic, and then we wrap up with some walleye fishing. So, but yeah, back to you, Josh. What do you think about that, was, that fish attitude? Yeah, fish attitude is a big deal. Just like us, you know, we're all we're, we're similarities in that you don't always wake up in the right mood or not always hungry, stuff like that. And I've heard, you know, I went to a couple bass universities back in the day and stuff, and heard some big time pros back then talk about uh, that fish only actively eat a couple hours of the day. So that's kind of a big deal. If they're, if they're eating, if they're eating, first of all, they'll probably eat almost anything you throw in there. Mm -hmm. if, if they're, if they're eating, eating, uh, with competition is going to be a big deal. The more competition there is, uh, there meaning the bigger the school is or the more fish they have around them, uh, the more likeliness that you can start to get them to bite, make one bite, keep them biting. And then the, the opposite is when they're just not in the mood. You know, I, I see it all the time on the lax, um, really anywhere we go active target definitely helps show you their mood in, in a quick hurry and you know if you look at like one of the best anglers ever obviously or the best angler ever and, and Kev, kevin van dam the dude didn't like dead stick a, a cinco ever he made fish bite so i've explained this before but if if we were all sitting in front of each other and i just threw you something with you not expecting that you you use your hands to try to like either catch it or throw it away from you or protect yourself uh, bass don't have hands, so they have a mouth. And so if you, if you can move something fast enough through a school, past them, whatever, you can actually get just a straight reaction bite where they just open their mouth and they got treble hooks on it. You know, they turn and, and it's in their instinct to, to turn on it, you know, and, and eat it, whatever it is. And uh, lucky for us, we got we got hooks on the end of it. So, you know, if they're if, if a fish is eating you're going to catch fish. Um, and you, you can tell that a lot on active target, what their mode is, if, if they're not in the right mode, if you need to make them. And, and it can be anything from a jerk bait to, you know, stroking a football jig, you know, you're just dragging it and all practice that were great. And all of a sudden they're not biting, mm -hmm. you know, and all of a sudden you're just dragging, dragging an hour into it. You don't have no fish. And then, then you start stroking that thing as hard as you can. And then they're boom, they're, they jump on that. So it's just, it's switching it up. And we talked about color a little bit and I, I don't think color is nearly as important as cadence is and, and how you're approaching the fish that you're fishing for. So when I say attitude, it's definitely, that's definitely what I meant. And with, with small mouth, they're just a little bit, you know, a little, little bit more pissed off, a little bit more pissier. Sometimes they kind of have that. They're just a little bit kind of, 
they're just not, you know, they, they kill, they, they, like, I would hate to be a perch and on a smallmouth lake, you know, I don't know how they get across those reefs, you know, to get this big or whatever. Smallmouths just have that kind of territorial attitude and, uh, and, you know, largemouth might eat a bluegill or two a day to get to five pounds, a small, you know, you know, a hundred little perch a day to get to five pounds. So you got to use that against them. You mm-hmm. know, you got to use that against them to put more, more in the boat for sure. Very good. All right. So got a technique specific question here when it comes to drop shotting what do you guys look for what makes you stop the boat is it the water depth depth structure what makes you pick that specific area for, for what for, for drop, drop shot. shotting yes sir um well a lot of times i'll drop shot when i see them um i do like to drop shot i mean i'll throw a drop shot it depends on again what their forage base is um you know, in their mood, it's usually like a rotation of baits I'll go through to get to a drop shot. Unless, unless we're talking smallmouth, they're just again they'll eat a hundred minnows a day. So, uh, you know, a drop shot was, fits their profile what they're looking for. But a lot of times, you know, I always have a drop shot on the deck. It'll be my my absolute last resort. Sometimes, depend like at Sam Rayburn last year. Uh, you know, I broke off a couple of fish that would have got me in the classic this year. I broke off like three of them in bushes that I or, you know, brush piles that I couldn't get out, but it, that drop shot was my last resort. You know, I threw everything else at that brush pile uh, before I whipped out the, the spin and pull. But the the bigger, the biggest deal is if, if I see them, I can, you know, with my electronics, I knows we got electronics all over our boat showing us what's down there. So if all of a sudden you get an arc in there, you know, a drop shot's going to be the first thing I'm going to, I'm going to put on them because there's not, it, it's not weightless because it has a weight. So to get to the bottom, but once it gets to the bottom, that is a weightless presentation and a weightless presentation will get you just bites. Very good. Pat. Yeah, I, that's what I was going to say is I usually, you know, when I see the fish is when I'll stop and do that. So, and, and especially if you see that fish, on your graph, under your troll more, that drop shot's the fastest thing you can get down there. I mean, you can just open your bail, let it fall down there. It's going to go straight. It's not going to spiral spiral around. Um, it's just really efficient when you see a fish on your graph to get it down there. And when that thing's dancing around down there, like Josh said, weightless, it's, it's pretty hard for them to turn it down. Yeah. All right. So shore fishing. We all grew up at some point shore fishing. What are some of the, the feedback you guys can give for, for new anglers out there that may not have been able to purchase a boat right now? I mean, obviously the marketplace itself is, I mean, it's tough to find a boat, but if you have to fish docks, piers, waterways, creeks, streams, rivers, small bodies of water, what are some of the things that you guys bring to you, bring with you to go fish those? I mean, growing up, obviously today it's a little bit different for you guys and your lifestyle, however, going back to your roots. I mean, I grew up fishing from, from shore. So, um, it's, if you, I grew up fishing on a river, so we would always have like a, a jointed Rapala, a straight Rapala, a MEP spinner and, and, uh, just a bass spinner bait, you know, like a, whatever, strike King spinner bait. Mm-hmm. You'd catch Northern, you'd catch walleye, you'd catch bass, you'd catch any, anything that was around would bite those baits. Obviously live bait too, but. Um, artificial, it's hard to beat those ones I just listed. I, I've caught a lot of fish on those baits, I st- and I still do mm-hmm. from a boat. Josh? Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, same thing. You know, I, I recommend bringing a tackle box with a bunch of different stuff because just like we are on the boat, you never really know what you're going to be presented with. You don't know how shallow and weedy it could be or, you know, uh, 
got wood out there or you just want to make a really really long cast but i definitely recommend a pair of waders i i, I wore a pair of waders a lot still do when i go out there because it just gives me a little bit more uh moving moving plus i'm not just in you know the water's the water's free for everybody to use so as long mm-hmm. as you get in the water you can kind of move around a little bit more and, and try to access fish from different angles uh, and stuff like that. And just a story today, I'm out there in an $80,000 bass boat trying to find some fish, fishing a point like a, a big time pro. And I watched some guy from the bank catch a big three pounder and show it to me from the bank. So, I mean, it, you know, bottom line is fishing's fishing. So just, you know, do whatever. But I, I've spent a lot, a lot of many a days on the bank and still do. Heck, all of us pros will all get together. You know, we're all something we got an off night or something we're, we're at the hotel you know the campground pond trying to beat each other in a, in a game there so it's just you know fishing from the bank it, it definitely has its you know things yeah you're always wanting to be in the boat and, and moving around and all that but still you can you can definitely catch some good fish and fishing's fishing very good all right so on body water size does your bait i mean i think this kind of goes back to match the hatch a little bit but does bait size differ if you're fishing a smaller body, bigger body, a water column that's or a lake that doesn't have as you know 80, 90, 100 foot depth versus some of the other lakes that are super deep, do you guys see a difference between bodies of water outside of match? Yeah, match? like a pond, like a pond might not grow as big a forage or have a forage base like a like a bigger lake is, mm-hmm. is going to. Um, so for sure, you know, if it's just a little pond, you might want to size stuff down stuff like that but then again you might run into fish that aren't nearly as pressured and they have they haven't seen that so i'd maybe go a little bit of both i'd go some you know one rod with something really big on it and then another rod with something a little small and you should be all right very cool pat what do you think yeah i mean i think it all comes down to forage base and then just you know the size of the fish that are in there if you go to some little pond out in california that's got 12 pound largemouth in it you could probably throw a giant swim bait you know but if you go to some little little pond on the back of the you know the back of the property that's got 12 inches in it you're, you're not going to want to throw a, a a big you know 10 inch swim bait so they'll kind of yeah just based on how big the fish are in there and what size the forage are in there you know if it's big bluegills or little tiny crappie minnows if they're just eating crayfish you know that kind of all factors into it very good all right so this is going to be a multiple part question here. We'll do early season with Pat and we'll do late season with Josh. So what are your go-to baits? No matter what. I mean, obviously Pat, I'm picking on you because of the, the, the jerk baits. I mean, how the jerk baits to you, is that almost a three, I, I shouldn't say 365 days a year, but for majority of your fishing season, are you, do, do you always have a, a jerk bait hooked up? Uh, it depends on the lake. I try to, you know, if the water clarity's right and just the environment is right. I, I caught some fish on the Sabine River on a jerkbait, you know, in three feet of water. So I, I do throw it a lot. I mean, it's a, just a confidence bait. I, I catch a lot of fish on it. But jerkbait, chatterbait, rattle trap, probably I don't do a whole lot of, honestly, early season crankbait fishing. I know a lot of people do. I, I don't do it a lot. Um, that, that'd probably be the, the main things early in the season. Plastics? Yeah, I'll always have something to flip, you know, whether it's a, you know, a craw, you know, I flip a lot of big bite craw tubes. You know, I'll always have that out. Uh, but generally in the, 
in the early part of the season, I don't fish like that a lot. I, I will once I find the fish, but I'm trying to find them with that, you know, jerk bait, chatter bait, uh, rattle trap, that kind of stuff. You got to cover water to find them. Mm-hmm. Once you find, say, you know, you get into a bay where, where there's a bunch of fish biting, well, then, yeah, after you, you go through and, and wipe them out with a chatter bait and a jerk bait, then you go flip all the all the wood. You flip the clump, clumps of weeds with that craw tube or the jig um, to pick up what's left. Or a lot of times, you know, you can get get some really big bites in the spring, uh, flipping a flipping a three eighths ounce jig. Uh, you know, that's just something that I've caught a lot of giant largemouth on over the years. So uh, that's kind of my take on it, I guess. Thanks, Pat. Josh. Uh, we're talking like fall when you say late season or say, say peak of summer into fall. Yeah. Uh, well, your, your, your bait fish are going to generally start getting a, a lot bigger unlike in the spring. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, what might've been little tiny paddle tails in the spring. Now I'm going for, you know, more of a four, four inch, something like that. Maybe, maybe a little bit bigger, but I would say a swim bait, like a paddle tail. Um, I like the biospawn exo swim. Uh, there's a whole bunch of paddle tails on the market. Um, again, matching, matching the forage. Um, and then I use an outcast tackle golden eye, um, jig head swimmer jig head. It's one I designed. It's meant to come through rocks. It comes through rocks. Unbelievably. Uh, if, if, if you're, you know, fishing out deep and a lot of times when you're talking about late summer and fall, I'm going to, I'm going to be looking for deep water and t- until it starts to get fall, fall where those fish are might, you know, largemouth might push back up in whatever they can. They're going to get shallower, small mouths you know, do a little bit of both actually. So, uh, I, you know, I'm going to throw a swim bait just because they tend to be, you know, football jig is one of my absolute favorite things to throw, um, for largemouth or smallmouth. They all eat crawdads. They, you know, the, it's just a good bait to throw. So, and then, and then, you know, when you're talking Southern reservoirs and stuff, I would say a, a buzz bait, a buzz bait's going to be a really big one. Cause a lot of times in the fall, they're drawing reservoirs back down and those fish don't have near the cover up on the bank. Uh, they're, they're trying to push back shallow. So a buzz bait, something that you can throw a long way. You can throw it through whatever is there around docks, around wood. And it, it, again, they're just feeding up and some of those shads start to push back into the creeks and stuff like that. So that buzz bait would be a pretty good, is a pretty good killer come, you know, late summer and into the fall. Very good. So what are your favorite knots? Hmm? Does that differ per bait? I mean, obviously a drop shop is going to be a little bit different, but if you're tying directly to the bait itself. What do you guys go with? With fluorocarbon, I've been tying that, I think they call it a jam knot a lot. Uh, that's kind of what I've gone to almost exclusively now on fluorocarbon, other than for a drop shot, or um, I will tie a snell knot on a, on a straight shank some when I'm flipping with, with, with heavy fluorocarbon. I flip a 25-pound fluorocarbon quite a bit, or 20. So I will tie a snell knot on that at times, not all the time, but sometimes. Um, and then braid, I'll tie a polymer. And then uh, another knot that I don't even know the name of it, just one I learned. It's kind of like a double polymer. We call it the rat key knot. It's, it's, I'd have to show you how to tie it because I cannot explain how to tie it. But that's really all I use. I don't tie any. And then a connection knot, I guess, for... From braid to fluorocarbon would be yeah. the other one, and that that's pretty much an FG knot. Now yeah. that I learned how to tie that, I I can't really go back to anything else. Very good, Josh. 
Yeah, real easy. I use the FG knot to connect all my braid to fluorocarbon, and I just use a jam knot for everything. Um, it's got three tag ends on it. That's how everyone knows that it's a jam knot. It's, there's there are different variations of jam knots. I've seen three or four different ones. Essentially, it's all it's all really, for the most part, the same. So uh, I use a jam knot for everything. I actually like a jam knot for uh, for drop shot too. I just do a few extra twists around so that I have a bigger knot. And then when I run it back down through, my knot can never go inside my inside my drop shot hook. It always stays out. I don't like when the knot starts popping, like a polymer will pop back in, and mm-hmm. you can't have that. You'll break that every time. So I just do a few extra when I'm you know using light line. I tend to do a few extra wraps on a jam knot, and that'll make the knot even a little bit bigger, and then it won't allow it to go in there. But I just use a jam knot for braid and fluorocarbon, and I use uh, the FG knot to connect everything. Very good. So there is a ton of Smalley questions coming up here from uh, Minnesota, Wisconsin, all these areas. Uh, let's, and this, both of you guys love them, so this would be fantastic. But what are you guys looking for when there's a ton of weeds on the water? Are the smallmouth in, deep in the weeds or are they pushed off in the deeper water? Generally, they're sitting on the side of it. Or if there's, if there's rock, little rock piles or something like that or sand holes, they'll, they'll definitely use those. But they don't like – they got – see, Smalley's got great vision, phenomenal vision. Like, I, I think most anglers underestimate a smallmouth's uh, ability to see, unlike a largemouth. Largemouth uses its lateral lines mm-hmm. uh, all the time. So it's more of a mountain lion. You know, it, it ambushes its predator where Smalley's are like a pack of wolves. They're just going to go chase it down and u- use their eyes to get it so they don't they don't got no business being in in, buried up in the weeds i've rarely have i ever seen that um where i've caught one in there and it's usually kind of a fluke but they'll definitely run the edges edges of weeds and then again it depends on your weeds if it's straight milfoil you know like that they're probably not going to get in it if if it's like cabbage stuff like that that they got a lot of places to move in between then 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 they might get into it and then like a jerk bait or a top water something like that through that will will definitely get those bites Pat? Yeah, he, he answered it pretty accurately, I feel like. I, I mean, you will catch them in the weeds on occasion. Um, the, I guess the one exception would be maybe on, on, the, on river systems where generally shallower water and maybe a little dingier water. I've caught, I've caught a lot of smallmouth, you know, not necessarily punching through the weeds, but maybe in thicker, thicker weeds than you would you would think of on a say a gin clear lake that'd be maybe the one exception to the rule is if you fish the mississippi a lot or you know a shallower river system with maybe a little more tannic water uh the fish might use that a little bit more the shallower weeds very good all right question here kind of bouncing around we got so many very very technique specific questions and general questions let's have a little bit of fun as well with this um what is your favorite fish to eat? Mm. Getting personal here. I'd probably say a bluegill. Oh. That's what I would say. I mean, everybody loves walleye. Yeah, they're good, but <laughs> I think I'd take I think I'd take a bluegill. Josh? Yeah, bluegills are really good. Bluegills are, are tasty. Uh, they're almost too close to a bass, but they, they are still at the same time. They are really, really good. Uh, I like cold water crappies are, are good. Yeah. Um, obviously walleye is good. Just as long as it's not a bass, you're good. You're good with yeah. me. Just, you know, you guys don't <laughs> eat bass. Not a bat. 
no, 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 definitely don't eat bass. Yeah, you don't see too many people eating bass. No. All right, another one here. Man, we've got so many questions. This is fantastic. All right. I know I just saw it. So what do you guys consider? And this one, I mean, is obviously up for interpretation. It's all, you know, your personal preference or personal opinion. But what do you consider a trophy smallie? Any smallmouth, or are you guys looking for a 21, 22-inch? Totally depends on where you're fishing for them. Just like deer, right? So, yeah, if you're at a place that three-pounders are big, then that's going to be, be a dang good one. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes to smallies, you know, I think I think anything over four pounds, you're starting to look, you know, that, that that's good. And that's what you need at, at most, of, most of those smallmouth venues are going to be four-pounders. It seems like there's a, there can be a lot of them around. Those smallmouth tournaments really show out better than – you know, 95% of largemouth tournaments, smallmouth tournaments will actually have bigger weight uh, just because, you know, the abundance of, of good fisheries have four or five pounders. But, uh, you know, a, a, a seven pound smallies, I don't even know. That's just an amazing, amazing fish. Six pound is really, really, really a big one. And five pounders are straight giants. So once you, once you break that four pound mark, you're, you're, those are big smallies. And for being a smallmouth guide, uh, I can tell you that by far majority of the people that I take out, which are serious fishermen still haven't broke that four pound smallmouth mark until they got out in the boat with me. Then, then, then we tend to break it. But so that just goes to show you that I think a four pounder is, uh, is, is kind of the prized smallie to get for sure. Pat. I would agree with that. You know, a lot of, and we're all kind of guilty of it as fishermen. You catch one and you're like, oh man, that's a giant. That's got to be four and a half pounds. <laughs> and then you weigh it and it's like three and three quarter. So a legit four pound, four to five pound fish is smallmouth is big. I mean, I've fished for smallmouth a long time on some really, really, really good fisheries, some of the best in the world. And I've caught. Two that I know, two that I weighed uh, in tournaments that were over six pounds. And then I've caught, I caught one on Pickwick this year that was five ninety nine, and I, But other than that, I mean, those are the only ones I've had around six pounds. And I've caught a lot of smallmouth. So people saying they're catching a bunch of five and six pounders, man, I challenge you to weigh them. It's a 20 weigh pound them goose. On Put them on the scale. That's what I say, too. Let's see it on the scale. Okay, we had a hair jig question that came up, I know. So, and you know, even for you, Josh, on this one, um, and, Pat, if you fish hair jigs, too, please please chime in. But uh, I've, never, I've never used one. Uh-huh. Um, so, Josh, with that hair jig, what size are you looking for? And then what's what's the technique involved with the hair jig? Yeah, we're talking marabou yes, jig, sir. like for smallmouth, right? Yep. yep. Um, yeah, I, I'm using a fighter fly. We, 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 you know, Seth fighter taught me that years ago. That's his little deal. He was taught by the Canadians, uh, you know, how to make it have some of his Canadian buddies up there. And then, uh, you know, we took it in, in Minnesota and I was always into tying. So, so I got pretty good at tying that one to me is perfect. It has, you know, now, now they're made outcast tackle makes them. So that that's the one that I use every now, every year. Every spring, I still sit down and tie myself up a couple just to say that I just to say that I did it. But the production ones are are just as good. You, you know, the key the key to hair is there's there's two things. And um, I actually just did a video for this. There's there's two reasons why you want hair. One, because it's cold water. 
you know, metal, when, when all else fails, when soft plastic, you know, soft plastic back way back in the day, it was metal and it was hair is what, what people use to go, to go bass fishing. Then soft plastics and jigs and stuff like that started, started to come along and they were definitely better most times of the year. But when it's super cold, sometimes hair and metal will still get those, those bites. So right away when the ice comes out, I like to throw a hair jig. And a lot of the reasons why is because when the ice breaks, you're going to have like, uh, you know, those fish, first of all, those fish are, are like Pat saying they're, they're getting to 15 foot and, and shallower. And that's where I want to target a small mall too. And the pre-spawn is definitely five to 15 feet, somewhere in that, you know, eight to 12 is like really good. That's, and, and that's really good for a hair jig because again, those fish can see amazingly well. So a time, I mean, that thing's wet. It's like this small, mm-hmm. you know, in the water column. I think a lot of people originally think we're fishing it on the bottom, and that's not necessarily the case. And that's the key because the rocks, when the ice goes out, grows like a weird mold or not mm-hmm. a mold, uh, like a awesome. algae uh, on top. Of, yeah. And you, you can't fish it. You can't throw a Ned rig on it. It'll just get full of stuff. So, but you still got to. At the same time, I can't be reeling something too fast. They're not in the mood. Like he was saying, you got to have the right cadence for the right time of year. They're not going to kick their tail too far to chase something down. So I need something that's going to just kind of float through the water real slow, stay just off the bottom, and uh, and not get fouled up, and the hair jig gets that. Secondly, when they go to post-spawn, uh, it's a good bait, too, during the spawn. Like I said, to peg fish off, just Flinging around at light spots at rocks stuff like that when the females are moving up and they're in their little packs a great bait to get them and generally you gotta or you always have to have clear water i've never seen it work in any kind of too dank too dirty or stained water it's always got to be really clean so uh the second thing is going to be reverse is the uh mayfly hatch when after the spawn a lot of times on these lakes up north, we're going to have a mayfly hatch, which is more so around the end of June, 4th of July for us uh, up north. And you wouldn't believe that a smallmouth that eats crawdads every single day of its life, and then those little mayflies, they start hatching from the bottom, they float up, and they just gorge themselves on them. And yep. it's always the big ones. The small ones don't even really know yet. They're still eating crawdads and stuff. It's the big ones that have great eyesight that know that that they can eat up. So I'll either catch them. You can either watch them come up and eat like the casings off the top and you can target them that way. Or you just hit, you know, get, I like to get in that 12 foot range and keep my hair jig at roughly around six foot, uh, post spawn and just move around those same breaks that Pat was talking about where they want to pull up. They're going to use those same ways to move back out. And, and that hair jig will definitely get, get the bites. And what, the other reason I like it is I would just won't ever lose them. Like they, they just, they kill it. They eat it. And and the biggest key is like a seven, six medium light action rod mm. and the lightest braid you can find. So like I use eight pound is usually what I use eight pound power pro, uh, and a little bit shorter leader, like an eight pound fluorocarbon leader. Uh, but you don't want it too long because it, you know, you want to be able to really whip that little, that little hair jig as far as you can. And that's the key because everything's so clean the water's so clean you got to make super big casts with that little tiny hair jig and uh but yeah definitely once fourth of july comes for most everywhere i, I think the hair jig kind of that, that bite died very good all right pat not to put you under the gun but you have about 45 seconds before you have a very exciting announcement for this evening hair jig okay what's your favorite uh, for a hair jig yes sir uh 
I have a guy no tie tie him for me, and I don't fish it a ton. I mean, I have obviously caught fish on it, but Josh is way way more seasoned at that technique than I am. So, but yeah, a long rod, seven six medium light light braid, six pound fluorocarbon leader, long casts, reel it, catch big ones. Check. I love it. Such a sweet bite. Check. Very good. Appreciate it, guys. All right. We got Matt back up here. This is your last opportunity to make sure you guys are getting registered. And uh, we're excited for the rest of the week coming up here. And for sure, before we get off the end of the night, we just want to make sure we thank Josh and Pat on this. Um, a lot of really good information. We've got, looks like five pages. I'm looking at the Word document right here. Five pages of questions. We will get some answers for everybody out there. I uh, appreciate everybody tuning in. But, Matt, you're up. Sounds good. Right here is, are the names, are the names. We are very excited to let everyone know. Uh, I do have to say really quick, I was trying to answer all your guys' questions. I, at one point I looked down and I thought my fingers were on fire. I was trying to answer them so fast, but it was definitely something I tried to do, but thank you guys. We'll try to get to most of your questions after tonight, so. Do we got a drum roll? I don't think we have that effect, do we? I don't know. <laughs> We do. Oh. <laughs> All right. So for the $500 uh, Shields gift card winner, we have Zach I from West Jordan, Utah. Um, and that's for the $500 uh, Shields gift card. Uh, for the second one, this is the big one for the $1,000 Shields gift card. Uh, we have Vern J from uh, Sock Rapids, Minnesota. So congratulations. Congratulations, guys. That's great. Congrats, so, guys. That's an awesome prize. Very good. Well, again, we appreciate everybody tuning in this evening. Uh, tomorrow night, we've got uh, Tony and Kim Ferry from uh, Sims. We're going to be talking about some fly fishing, which is very exciting. We had a call with them a couple weeks ago, and uh, they're a dynamic duo for sure. Uh, they were out tarpon fishing, so hopefully they got some good fishing stories for us. But Josh and Pat, again, can't thank you guys enough for taking time. I know you guys have been on the water, hitting it, grinding it. You guys are getting into the, the time of the year for this, and we definitely know it's not easy, and and uh, Josh, we definitely appreciate you finding that rental house with good internet yeah. connection. Yeah. <laughs> <No problem>. yeah. <laughs> Thank thanks, guys. Make sure you guys are jumping on to Shields Outdoors and following us on Facebook and social media with Instagram as well. And if you got any questions, keep keep the questions coming in. We're going to get to them. Again, we got five pages it looks like, and we're excited. And again, good luck this fishing season, guys. We'll be watching you. Uh, right. Watching you on the winning circle. Right on. If I could, I just want to thank everybody. And if anybody got any questions for me personally, you know, hit me up on any of my social media. It's always Josh Douglas Fishing. And uh, send me send me messages on there. Uh, reference this deal in the title or whatever, and I'll, I'll happily uh, sit down. It might be after this tournament, but I'll still I'll, I'll get to him and answer all those all those questions for sure. Pat, good luck, bud. Keep keep wrecking yeah. them, dude. You too. Thanks a lot, guys. All right. Thanks, everyone. You just heard our recording of the night one session of the Shields Virtual Fish Series featuring Josh Douglas and Pat Schlapper. Now they answered a lot of great questions, but we didn't get to all of them on there. So we've got a bonus episode in a podcast, which you can find right next in the playlist. We've also got a couple of other podcasts where we had Josh Douglas and Pat Schlapper talked about their background, 
lots of information, just going into a little bit more depth into a lot of the topics that we discussed. Make sure to check those out in the playlist of the Shields Outdoors podcast. And with that, we want to thank you for listening and see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Shields Outdoors podcast. Stay tuned for future segments and visit our social media pages, Shields Outdoors on Facebook and Instagram for daily updates.